Okay, everybody, again, apologies for not doing a live shear tonight, but uh, Baruch Hashem had a bunch of uh, simchas and got back late, but uh, still got to get the shear up so we can uh, go into Shabbos with uh, some inspiration from Parshas Vayigash. So again, just to recap again, you're probably familiar, but at the end of last week's Parsha, Yosef, of course, threatens to take Binyamin for stealing his cup, quote-unquote, and Yehuda, at the beginning of this week's Parsha, right, steps up to the plate, Vayigash, I love Yehuda, and pleads for Binyamin, but he recaps the story up until now, the back and forth with Yaakov, what's been going on with Yosef and Mizraim, right, and says, please don't take Yosef, uh, uh, please don't take Binyamin, uh, I'll be your slave uh, instead. Obviously, Yosef is very moved. He tells everybody to leave the room, and he reveals himself to his brothers after you know after they prove that they will care for for Binyamin. Um, and obviously, they can't say anything back to him. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, they're so you know embarrassed and shocked, etc., that they don't say anything back. Paro, to his credit, I guess, I guess to his credit, right, he welcomes the news right that uh, Yosef's brothers came. Uh, he tells Yosef to send for Yaakov immediately. Right, the brothers are sent up to Yaakov with some gifts. Yaakov is told that Yosef is still alive, or it says, oh, let's go see him. Right, obviously travels down to Mitzrayim, is nervous about that. Right, Akash Baruch Hu, uh, comforts him and says he'll make him into a great nation down there. He tells him, I'll go down with you. Um, and obviously there's an emotional reunion between Yaakov and Yosef. Right, Yaakov saying Kriyashma, right, famous Rashi over there. Uh, the Torah then lists the 70 uh, descendants of Yaakov that go down to Mitzrayim, Yocheved being born between the walls. Right, Yaakov meets Paro, right, Yosef settles everybody in Eretz Goshen, and then there's a long detailed explanation about how Yosef take care, takes care of Egypt during the famine, right at the end of the parasha, Ben Israel settled down uh, in Egypt. So let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Vayigash, I love Yehuda. That Yehuda, right, Vayigash, right, Yehuda steps up to the plate and says, right, I'm going to talk to this guy, to this this king, his second in command of Egypt, and try and save my brother. Rav Victor Miller points out, right, the Mila of Vayigash. And again, just to, to, to paint a little picture here, right, Binyamin is about to be lost, right, the king, like back in the day, right, we, we are used to, right, like, you know, uh, you know, videos and movies where you get, make this big speech and the hero saves the day, but back in the day, right, the king, you didn't cross the king, right, in those days, right, and the king spoke, that was it, right, his word was law, Right, if you looked at the king wrong, right, you could you could you could, you could chop your head off, right. There's no there's no appeal, there's no nothing, right. You do something inappropriate, you say you insult the king in the slightest, right. You put a fly in the, into the cup. If there's a, a pebble right in the bread, uh, straight to jail, right. Straight to jail and never see you ever again. So when Yosef, who was the, the second in command, I was telling the brothers what he was going to do with Benjamin, right. That was it. That was it. But Yuda was Moser Nefesh, right? He spoke up, or he stepped up, right? He made this whole long speech. Right? Again, we, you know, it doesn't say for us, but we, you know, read Grisham novels and have all these court dramas, and it doesn't, you know, seem like such a big deal for us. But this was a big, big deal, a big act of Gura, of standing up for what is right. And Rav Miller, Rav Victor Miller says, that he, he thinks, not based on anything, but he thinks that this is why Jews are called Yehudim. Right? We're called Yehudim, we're called Jews. So this midah of standing up for what is right, even though it could cost right, our freedom, our livelihood, our life, even our life, right? Yehudim realized that, that this was putting himself in Sakana. He stepped up to the plate and did it anyway. And Yaakov recognized that Yehudim had this midah, right? Even though 
Right again, he, obviously Yaakov wasn't there at the time, but he realized he recognized this Mida in Yehuda. For example, Yaakov blessed Yehuda. Right, I'll tell you, Right, your brothers. Will, this is next week's parsha. Right, in parsha Vayichi, your brothers will will raise you up. Will accept you as the leader. <coughs> you're, you're the sons of your mother will bow down to you. Gur Arye Yehuda. Right, lion. Arye is a lion. Lion cub, he's fearless, right? Not necessarily the strongest, right? An elephant, an ox, a, a, a rhino, those are strong, strong, powerful animals. But a lion is fearless, right? Uh, it will stand up, will be a gibor, right? And, and stand up for what is right. And that's what it says, Perkeyavas, right? Have a gibor kari, right? That's the strength we're talking about, right? To be fearless, to stand up uh, in the face of you know, what seems to be either danger or other people yelling at you or etc. And that's, Nachshon, again, countless examples of, of the Shevet Yehuda uh, doing that, just a couple that uh, Rav Miller mentions. Nachshon ben Aminadav, right, again, that's from Shevet Yehuda, jumped into Yamsuf, Hashem said, so just travel, just go, and obviously the entire Yamsuf was a big river, a big sea in front of him. Yeah, uh, Nachshon said, okay, Hashem said, we should go, let's go, even though technically right, jumping into a, an ocean that big or a sea that big was dangerous. Right, it, was, it came up to his neck, and then the sea split. Right, that's what the measure says. Shevet um, Yehuda, when the tribe went, tribes went into Eretz Yisrael, right, Bnei Yisrael going to Eretz Yisrael, right, they, they were told to wipe out all the Canaanim, right, to get rid of all the Canaan, the Canaanim. And it says the the Navi says in Yeshua that only Yehuda did it completely. Right, they, only Yehuda was fully drove out all of the Canaanim. Uh, and similarly, when you know later in the in the, in the in the, the the dwelling in Eretz Yisrael, right, when Yeruvah broke away the ten tribes to make you know Malchai Yisrael, right, Shevet Yehuda stayed with the Beis Hamikdash, right, they stayed the course, right, ignoring all of the you know the rebellion and the breakaway, etc. Right, Yehuda is the ability to stand up for what's right, right, to stick by principles, right, to not to be afraid of consequences, and that's says Rav Victor Miller why we're called Yehudim, and this Mida, right, is so crucial and it manifests in so many ways. Right, in our lives, right? Whether it's peer pressure in your social circles or peer pressure at work or in your community or sometimes just in your own head, right? Your ability to rise up and stand up for what you believe in, right? That defines, right, what you, you as a Jew, right? That defines us as Jews, right? That's where you them, right? It's not, we're not Jews because we have latkes on Hanukkah or matzah on Pesach or cheesecake on Shavuos or because we wear these horrible Hanukkah sweaters that are really Xmas sweaters, right, co-opted into the religion, right? We're not Jewish because we watch Schindler's List or Ushbizen or Shtisel or, like, send a tweet about anti-Semitism, right? Those are all adorable and nice and whatever. But, no, doing the mitzvah, standing up for what is Emes, for what is right in the face of adversity, right, that's what a Jew is. That's the Yehudi, right? That's why we're Yehudim, and that's the Mila of Vayigash, I love Yehuda, of Yehuda standing up, right, for... Uh, for his brother, for Benjamin, and even though theoretically, right, his life was was at stake. Okay, um, how serious it is? Where we get the, we get a lesson this week's parsha, right? Really, throughout this entire uh, series of parshos, but how serious the an avera it is to be malbin pnei of chaver barabim, right, to embarrass your friend. Right in public, right? Yosef, as you know, as we mentioned, right, told everyone to leave the room right before he revealed himself uh, to his brothers. And the Medrash says the Medrash in in, uh, in Breshis Rabbah actually has two schools of thought as to whether that was appropriate or not. Right? Rabbi Chama Rabbi Chanina says it was not appropriate because what if one of the brothers attacked him and killed him, 
Right, Yosef, the Chorovank and the Rashi's, I think, if I'm not mistaken, brings that Yehuda threatened to kill uh, Yosef, just like pa he would threaten to kill Paro. And the, the brothers were tremendously strong and powerful. And obviously, you know, Shev uh, uh, Levi and Shimon destroyed an entire city. So these are fierce warriors and powerful people. And Yosef, the sent out all his guards and everything. So Rabbi Chanina says, that if one of the brothers would have attacked him, he would have died. So it was inappropriate. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman says, no, it was appropriate to send out all of the people uh, in the room because he knew his, he knew his brother's righteousness and they, he knew that they were not uh, going to murder him. Meaning, according to the first view, Yosef put himself in danger, right, in a sakana. And the second view says, no, there was no real sakana. He knew there weren't murderers. There was no danger whatsoever. And therefore, it was appropriate right, that he told everyone to leave. Now, according to, the question is, according to the first approach, Right, that it was inappropriate, right? Why did Yosef do that? Right? If Yosef was actually putting himself into a dangerous situation, right, why did he do that? Right? If it, it was inappropriate. So it points out Rav Baruch Simon, one of the Rosh Yeshiva in NYU, apparently Yosef felt that it was better to put himself into a dangerous situation than embarrass his brothers in front of all the Egyptians. Now this is as Rav Simon points out, this is actually uh, two opinions in the Rishonim of the Gemara and Sota and Dafhe. One opinion over, the Gemara, over there, the Gemara says, Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai says, it's better to get thrown into the fire right, than, than to embarrass your friend uh, in public. Right? They're, they're darshan that out from the Puzzle and uh, the story about Yudah and Tamar. Right? Yudah found out that Tamar had quote unquote uh, committed adultery, not really, obviously, because it was with him, but she became pregnant, and Yudah said, Let's go, we should, she should be burned. And she hinted to him that, oh, by the way, the person who I was with right, was uh, owned these items. And then we learn from over there that, you know, she didn't want to embarrass him in public. Uh, he obviously owned it and, and said, so come in many that she's more righteous than me. So he stepped up and, and owned it. But basically, Tamar would have allowed herself to get thrown into a fire, a fire before she would have uh, revealed that he was the one who had done it and embarrassed him. Uh, in public. So Tosos and the Miri over there have an argument as to whether that's literal. Because, again, if you're telling me that you need to get thrown into a fire as opposed to uh, embarrassing your friend in public, so that is a pretty big statement, right? The Gemara Mtsachim, Dafchafei, lists only three Averos that you have to die for rather than to violate, right? The big three, right? Gilu, Rashi, Damim. Uh, and uh, Zara, by worshiping idols and, and murder and sleeping with someone who's one of the Arayos, right? Th those are the big three, right? That you have to die. If someone puts a gun to, head, to your head and says, do one of these Averos or I'll kill you. So all of the Averos right, in the Torah, right? Just talking in, in broad strokes, you're allowed to commit except for the big three. Here you're telling me that embarrassing your friend in public is one of them. So it really should be a big four. And, and so Tosa says the only reason the Gemara there in doesn't mention it is because it's not a version of the Torah. But really, there is a big four, and 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 you should not be you should you should let yourself die rather than embarrass yourself your friend in public. The Meiri, on the other hand, says it's just figurative that you don't actually have to throw yourself into a fire instead of embarrassing your friend. Right? But it's supposed to that the way they phrase it in the Gemara, right? It's supposed to make an impact. It's supposed to say, hey, this is pretty serious. Now, Rav Simon points out that maybe this is the two opinions in the Medrash. Uh, but before we even get that far, right, without all the fancy Torah that, that he goes on to say, how many of us even think <clears throat> about not embarrassing our friends? 
We live in a world of, you know, putting people on blast and social media and sending pictures and you know, screenshots of private texts and shaming people on Instagram and, and nobody even blinks, right? Nobody even blinks. We, no one even stops to think, hey, maybe my friend will be hurt by this. Maybe this is not such a nice thing to do. Maybe this will embarrass them. Right? We need to, I think, when you read, when you hear these Mamari Chazal, we need to redouble our efforts of thinking about other people. Right? Way before we get to the point of throwing ourselves into a furnace, right? or putting yourself in dangerous company, whatever. First, it comes simply thinking about not embarrassing other people. Right? And we have so many opportunities to do this, right? with phones and, and interacting on, on social media and all this type of stuff, uh, all the comments on pictures, etc. Like, there, you could come up with more examples than I could. The opportunity for us to embarrass someone else because everything is public, everything is uh, is is recorded and videoed and photographed and and, pic- and there's everything. There's pictures of everything. There's so many opportunities for us to embarrass our friends. So we need to double our efforts, right, to not embarrass our friends and think about what we're doing that may not right paint our paint our friends in, in the best light. Uh, and uh, at the very best, and at the worst, right, are really, really damaging them uh, and really hurting them, um, even though we ne- may not necessarily realize it. So we have to, I think that's a, a tremendous muscle, right? Before we get all the way down the road, right, we have to think about the small things that we do that embarrass other people, right, and try and, and, try and improve on that. Okay. The Medrash says, probably the most famous, famous Medrash on, on, uh, on Parsha's Vayigash, even though I hate saying that because... If you haven't heard of it, and then you feel badly, <laughs> but I think the the most let's put it this way: the, I think the most quoted medrash on Parshas Vayigash is is the following: is that when Yosef says to his brothers, "Ani Yosef, Avichai," right? I am Yosef, is my father still alive? So the medrash says over there, "Avakoin Bardula," right? That's the one. That's the Manda Amar, the guy who says it. He says, "Oy lanu miyomadin, oy lanu." Right, Oive, right, Oive. When you hear this story, Ani Yosef, Ha'ud of Yichai, Abrakon Bardala says, Oive, from the day of judgment, Oive, right, for the day of rebuke. And he says, hey, what, do you, what do you mean? Meaning, because he explains that Yosef was basically the youngest of all the Shvatim, and when he gave the, the brothers Musser, right, when he said Ani Yosef, right, so then the brothers couldn't say anything to, in response because they were so embarrassed. So when Akosh Baruch Hu himself comes and gives us Musr on the Yom Adin, right, the, the ultimate Yom Adin, right, at the end of our life, right, Akosh Baruch Hu himself, Bechodu Ve'atzmo, come and gives us Musr and chastises us at the end of our lives, how much more so, Allah has Kama Vakama, how much more so are we not going to be able to stand and say anything back uh, to Hashem? The question that everybody asks is, what do you mean? Where is the Musr that Yosef gave to the brothers in that statement. I Meaning we're comparing the, the, the Musr and the Tochacha that Yosef gave to the brothers. They couldn't say anything back to him. So when a coach Baruch Hu, when he comes and gives us Musr and says, how could you do this at the end of our lives? How much more so we're not going to have anything to say. Where is the Musr in the words of Yosef? Yosef said, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, Ha'ud Avichai, is my father still alive? That's Musr? What, do you, what does that mean? What, 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 what is the criticism in those words? So there are many answers. I just wanted to quote, uh, I think, a couple of them, uh, one or two of them. The Beis HaLevi says that Yosef's statement of Ha'od Avichai was exactly that. It was a statement, not a question. 
Right? Yehuda had already, again, a few psukim earlier, Yehuda had already mentioned that Yaakov was still alive. Right? As, uh, as the Medrash explains, the hey is the hey meaning he's in shock. Like, ha'odavichai? Is my father still alive? Meaning, like, in disbelief. Like, for example, like, how in the world is my father still alive? And Yosef says, I have no idea. I, I have no idea how he lived for so many years with the pain that you caused when you sold me down here. Right? In that little statement, says the Beis right, contains an underlying question, right? A direct contradiction, right? To all that Yuda had just said a few moments ago, right? Yuda goes on, and if you read the Psukim, he waxes poetic about how Yaakov will be affected. How can you take Binyamin away from him, right? Yaakov will be so affected by Binyamin not coming home, and how could you please don't take him as a slave? And Yosef's like, uh, hello? Where was this, like, 22 years ago? <laughs> when you sold me to Mitzrayim? And if Yaakov has been able to live without Yosef for the last 22 years, well, guess what? He'll probably be able to live without Binyamin as well. And they couldn't answer him. The brothers had nothing to say back. Because what did Yosef do? He used their own actions and words against them. And if that's the case, then the comparison the Medrash between this and the Yom Adin after we get a, after 120 is terrifyingly accurate. Because we all think that we're kind of good. Right, that we're doing, we're living life the way we should, you know, we kind of think that we're good, and if we're doing something that's not 100%, so we have an answer and a reason and an excuse, and, and, and we have it all kind of lined up in our heads. Problem is, right, our actions and words constantly contradict themselves. And the things that we say and the things that we do contradict all the answers and the excuses that we might give for our less than 100%, you know, Shmira's Torah mitzvahs. For example, a person you know, in my neighborhood, right, you, you can barely go a minion without someone asking you for money. Right? Almost every morning at Shachris, no matter what shul you go to in Arnof, there's someone asking for money. Right? And if a person decides to give, not to give tzedakah for whatever reason, let's say a guy says, I don't know, I got Parnassa issues, or I need the money for this, or I don't like this guy's cause, or, or I don't like how they look, they're really weird, or whatever, whatever excuse. And then that person, that same person turns around and spends that sum of money on a ridiculous perk or something he, just to, he or she just totally doesn't need. Or even worse, something, something that's usser, right? Or, you know, or, or, you know, you spend money for your own kavod or for some sort of machlokas or whatever. So your excuses just got washed away, right? Your own actions right, nullify any potential excuse, right, for not doing the mitzvah of giving mitzvah. And that's why the Medrash phrases it like that, right? It says, oil under the omadin. Yomadin is for the Avera. Right? When we do an Avera, we're going to have a day of judgment for that. Yomatochacha, the day of rebuke, that's for the argument you could have made in Bezdin Shalmala, right? and up, up in Shalayim, but your own actions silence that claim and contradict what you could have said. And therefore, the punishment increases, says the Beis Halevi, because you've canceled out your own excuses. It's, it's literally terrifying, right? when you think about it, how much of a hypocrite Right? We all are. And obviously, we have to be aware of that and, and try and work on it. And, and again, not to not to pat myself on the back. As I said, I, I used to be extremely judgmental of all the schnorrers who come to shul with this claim or that stalker or whatever. This guy wants to marry off his daughter, so he's collecting money. He's been in coal his entire life, and he needs to get money somehow, and... Not only does it include money for the wedding, it includes buying the new couple an apartment, because that's how it goes in the Chazizha circle, so he needs hundreds of thousands of shekels to buy an apartment, etc. And I used to be like, you know what? I also want to buy an apartment. 
And I used to judge each case, each and every case. Oh, I don't, I don't like your cause. I don't think that makes sense. That's not logical to me. Why do you need money for that? And you know what? I was wrong. A hundred percent. I was wrong because when I would go home and, you know, kind of browse through Amazon and look for a new tie, I, you know, to buy my, you know, my 38th tie, like <laughs> it's a little excessive. Right. And, I'll, and, or I would just, you know, decide to have burgers bar for dinner just because. And all of a sudden, the 10 shekel, I didn't want to give this, uh, you know, you, this Jew, my Shmarrel Barrel, I didn't want to give 10 shekel. Oh, that looks really bad when I'm dropping 20 bucks on a tie that's slightly more purple than the other four purple ties that I have. So you know what? I stopped doing that. I, again, not to, again, not to pat myself on the back, but we, this is the response for us once we realize that we're doing this is to change. And I thought about it, and I, and I honestly, frankly, I grew from it, and now I give no matter what the guy says. I frankly don't even pay attention to whatever the guy guy gives a clap. He says blah 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 in Hebrew. Okay, fine. You, to be honest, the ten shek he, he needs the ten shek more than I do. Right? And again, it's about empathizing what the other person needs. Just because this, just because you don't think that you know putting out a safer on uh, Hilchas Erevin is is important for this guy, he is going from shul to shul, big asking for money, literally begging people to help him do whatever he's doing. Well, if I'm not appreciating what that person needs that's a failing on me right this guy th clearly feels it's important enough so i should try and empathize with him that's that's an important a very hush of hush of uh, thing to, to work on just for example this is just one example of this right we can think of a lot of things in our lives that contradict right the excuses that we come up with then all of a sudden those excuses fall away when we want to use you know the time or the money or the actions for something else my rebbe of jonathan Sachs used to say very often, right? Before every Ben Ismanim, before every break, right, in Yeshiva, he used to say the way we act during Ben Ismanim sheds light on all the excuses we make during the semester, right? Like, and we're, I was, again, I went to YU, so we had learning, you know, pretty serious learning schedule. We also had some serious classes. So during the semester, we're not going to learn, you know, after Night Seder, we're not going to learn extra. Because, you know, I have homework or studying or you need to relax and detox or whatever. Fine. Give all the totally legit. But if that's what's happening during Benazmanim, when you don't have homework and you don't have studying and you, you kind of don't need to relax from a very, very long day, if you're still not learning after Mariv, so, well, then your excuse just fell away. No, that was just a false excuse. You just did, didn't want to learn. And there's so many examples of this and you can come up with them on your own. And how our actions or our words prove that we're hypocrites. And it's it's really a, a very powerful mimer of the Beis HaLevi. And it's very, very powerful uh, thing for us to think about how we can kind of line up our Hashkavah Sachayim and our actions and our words, right, so that they don't uh, contradict each other, uh, each one another. Um, okay. Uh, the refrend, a Rebisachar friend, on the other hand, says that the Musr was not Hoda Vichai, but the Musr was Aniyosef. In the sense, in the following sense, meaning that the brothers had all these strands. This, this is a word that my wife is very fond of, um, and uh, I think it's very, also very, very powerful and, and hits home a lot. Uh, the brothers had all these strange things happening to them, right? They thought they were, they were, they thought they were correct when they sent, you know, they sold Yosef down. They thought he was, you know, a threat to them, and, and so they got rid of him. 
Uh, but then, you know, kind of the Madrashim say the Shekhinah left the house of Yaakov. He didn't have any, uh, didn't have any Nebuah. <coughs> there was a famine. They went to Egypt. They had all these troubles, right? The, the second in command in Mitzrayim called them being spies. Or Shimon got thrown in jail. Right? They accused them of stealing their, their money, their goblet. The money was to return to their, right? They, a completely crazy story, right? One misfortune after another. Then all of a sudden, right, Yosef says, Ani Yosef, and everything becomes clear. Oh, that's why he was doing it, right? All the mysteries are solved. And, and there's nothing they can say. There's nothing the brothers have to say back because they should have realized it all along. And says your friend, right, we all have these questions in our lives. Right? We're confused by this. We don't know why this happened. We're bewildered by this misfortune, that, that, this issue. Why did this happen? And when we do that, right, we very often lose our way. Right? We make mistakes uh, and we continue making mistakes and we don't pay attention to our messages. Uh, but when Hashem says, right, uh, at the end of at the end of 120, we get up to Shemayim. Hashem says, "Ani Hashem," and and shows you the whole picture. Everything becomes clear. Right, and then it's clear where we went wrong. Right, where where maybe we erred in our judgment, like the brothers who didn't have the proper emuna, bitachon. We were too gashmius fo- focused. We didn't fail to see the spirituality, whatever it is. Right, and that's the greatest muster in the world that we fail to see. And the message is that Akash Baruch was sending us the entire time. If we would have just understood, Ani Hashem, that Hashem is taking care of all this stuff and organizing things that so that it should be, you know, go in, in a certain direction, and having wouldn't be talking on that, so then then we wouldn't have continued and stayed uh, with the same mistakes. And again, my wife always says how amazing it's going to be when Akash Baruch finally reveals himself, right, through Mashiach, etc., we'll understand why there was COVID and this war and that war and this. But there's a Musar aspect to it as well that we're tasked with trying to see through the smoke, right, of Olam Haza, right, while we're living it, right, and see a Gosh Baruch in our everyday lives, right, if you ever read uh, World Mask by Viki Vatatz, that's the entire book, right, seeing through the mask of nature in Olam Haza, and it's something that uh, we need to focus on. Okay, last word uh, for today is uh, just something that always kind of bothered me, and then I saw an answer, uh, and, uh, and and I really, you know, I wanted to share it. Um, there's a famous puzzle when you uh, said the word famous again. I apologize. The puzzle says <laughs> when Yaakov and Yosef finally meet after a couple of years, uh, 22 years, but you saw Yosef Merkavto, Yosef kind of saddled his own chariot, uh, went to see Yaakov, right? He appeared to him and he fell on his neck, and uh, and he cried, he cried excessively. Now, the Targum Yonason says. He writes that there's something, and, and the, the parish Yonason explains what he means, right, that there's something missing from the Pazak. And he says that before Yaakov realized that Yosef was Yosef, right, he saw, what did Yaakov see? He saw the Viceroy of Egypt coming towards him. And Yaakov bowed down, and because of that, right, because Yosef allowed his father to bow to him, or it didn't kind of stop him, whatever, he lost years off his life. Right? Yosef was the first to die of all the brothers. Right? He died at 110. That's an... Um, and the that just as an aside, that's probably why Rashi goes to great lengths to explain why it was okay for Yaakov to bow to Yosef and Barshas Vayechi, right? Again, he brings him uh, the Gemara, the uh, fox's time of glory, right? Bow down to him. Right? And Yaakov needed something from Yosef, so he had to give him, like, that cover to make sure that Yosef would bury him in Eretz Israel. Okay, fine. Here, it, but there was no need for it whatsoever. And so points out, Rav Melech, Rav Melech Biederman points out how careful a person needs to be in Kibbutz Abayim. Right? Just a slight breach Right, obviously, for great we're talking about great people over here, but just a slight breach in Kibbutz Avaim, right, was a tremendous failing for Yosef, and he lost years off his life. 
Again, just to, why why did he lose years off his life? Because again, the Torah promises long life for keeping mitzvah. Of kibud abeim, right? But it says l'man yarichon yamecha, keep kibud abeim, and because your life will, you know, so your life will, you'll live long life. But the reverse is also true. Right? If you don't keep that mitzvah, right, you stand to lose potential long life. Uh, for for failing to keep that that aspect of halacha. Now, obviously, every situation is different. I'm not trying to here to be mekatrig on Yosef. I'm not here to criticize and right? all. And but we have to try and and, and go above and beyond for kibud aveim. And obviously, every situation is different. And all the shilas you have, right, you have to be passed to a rav. But kibud aveim, right, is is a mitzvah we need to go to great lengths to fulfill. And a lot of us. I don't think of it so much, right? Again, as you know, like those 22 years Yosef were, was gone. Right, that all started with the 22 years Yaakov was gone. Right, Yaakov was away from his parents, not doing Kivit Aveim for 22 years, and he also got corresponding. Right, Yosef was taken away from him as well. Right, it's something we have to remind ourselves, right, because as teens and young adults and even grown adults, right, we're all focused on ourselves, right, and that's natural, that's how it is and how it should be, but we have to also think of uh, other people, and certainly the, our parents, who we would have nothing without our parents. Uh, we have to certainly kind of redouble our efforts for that. Uh, and just to illustrate further, Rashi quotes the famous Chazal. Uh, again, I said the word famous, I apologize. Rashi quotes the Chazal that Yosef cried on his father's neck, but Yaakov didn't. Why? Because Yaakov is in Kriyashma. Right? Points out Ramelech, and this is what everyone asks. I understand. If it was time to say Kriyashma, so why didn't Yosef also say it? And if it wasn't time to say Kriyashma, why was Yaakov saying it? So the stipler answers in Birgas Peretz that, based on the Maral, but the Maral writes in Guru Aryeh, there really was not the time for Kriyashma, but often, right, when the Tzadikim fill some sort of Simcha, or, or some sort of Yeshua, or whatever, they channel their love towards the Kodesh Baruch Hu. So Yaakov, who felt this tremendous chus for having been reunited with his favorite son, he said Kriyashma. What about Yosef? Says the stipler, Yosef at that moment had a mitzvah of Kivit Right, he had a mitzvah to take care of his father, to greet him in an emotional way, to say, you know, I missed you, I loved you, Here's, you know, I, I'm so happy to see you. So he had no ability to channel his focus towards the Kodesh Baruch Hu. He was Osip a mitzvah. Right? He, there's no lifnim you can't. He, there was no issue of like him going above and beyond and saying Kriyashma. He, he can't go the extra mile, because then he would be Mavaza in the mitzvah of Kriyashma, uh, in the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim. He can't. He he can't. Couldn't take the opportunity to say Krishna because then he wouldn't have been able to pay attention <coughs> to the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim. Yaakov had no such mitzvah. There's no mitzvah to be mechabed your kids, even though it's very nice. But for Yosef, he had the mitzvah Kibbutz Aim, and therefore, right, he wasn't free to just decide. You know what? I'm just going to say Krishna. Right? Yosef was busy. He had to take care of right the mitzvah uh, at hand, and I think that's very very chashva lesson because very often, right, we uh, you know we we. This, Baruch Hashem, we're, we're growing, we're trying to be from, uh, but it doesn't need to come at the expense of other mitzvahs. So we have mitzvahs too, uh, to give tzedakah, to daven, and certainly to do kibbut right? aim. We, we have to be careful, right? When we choose to grow in certain chumras and certain halachos, right? make sure it doesn't come at the expense of other halachos, right? including kibbut uh, that uh, very often right, become hindered and become hampered because a person decided to take on uh, X, Y, and Z uh, halacha, right? Every chumrah that you accept, right, shouldn't result in a kula, in a leniency, uh, in another area 
uh, of halacha, and certainly, uh, you know, in, in, in this time when you're young adults and, and, and teens and stuff like that, right, certainly you have to think about kibra aim as a, an overriding factor, right, in, every, in pretty much every decision, right, that you end up making. Okay, everybody have a tremendous, tremendous Shabbos. Not sure where, uh, if I'll be able to record next week, simply because I'm going to be traveling. Uh, but uh, we'll try. We'll definitely try and get our partial schmooze up there uh, and have a great Shabbos, and we'll be in touch.